Um, we're going to be continuing in Luke. We'll be starting in uh, Luke chapter 3, verse uh, 21 this morning. And um, we've been going through Luke, and we've been seeing uh, the kind of the arrival, him coming, the preparation. But we haven't seen much of who Jesus, Jesus the man, is. And this this morning, there's kind of a transition. We're going to start seeing Jesus the man in the beginning of his ministry and and who he was being fully God and fully man. And um, we're really going to kind of see a couple things kind of stood out in the scriptures as going through and preparing is the basics for Christian life, the, the basics things. And, um, and as we go through, you'll see how, how God really wanted to make that clear and to show us these basic principles, these basic needs we have, um, if you would, to survive or, or to do well in this walk and walk uh, worthy of our calling. And so we're going to look at first, we've, we've kind of talked about it last time as he, we taught and, um, of repentance and, and really being fully committed to Christ. And that's laying aside that old life and you're saying, hey, I'm going to be committed. I, I'm living for Christ. And that's really what baptism represents as Christians. And we're going to see Jesus being baptized here as John was baptizing people. And, and it's being committed. And when you're now committed into a relationship, there are some um, important aspects of a relationship. Um, you, you, there's communication. And with God, we have prayer. We can communicate with God, and he speaks to us. And then you have to, there's actions. There's actions in a relationship. Um, you know, if I didn't talk to my wife, that'd be a problem. And then if I didn't act on what I said, if my actions didn't line up with my word or reveal my heart, that'd be a problem. And for us as believers to be able to act, to live, to walk in this life, and to walk changed and have the fruit of the Spirit, we've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be Spirit-filled. And then we have to know truth. We have to know him. Not, not just in communication, but knowing him, knowing his heart. You know, getting deep in with him and, and letting him into our lives. You can have a relationship with somebody and, and communicate and, and do actions, but if you're not revealing your heart and opening your life up to him and letting that person change and affect you, there isn't a very strong relationship there. And so we're going to look at these things, and in the rest of chapter 3, we're going to kind of look at, um, if you would, the, the communication and the power of the Spirit. And so um, let's pray as we get into this here. Dear Lord, we just, we want to know you more. We want to grow in our relationship with you. We want to, um, we just want to lay everything aside and run with you, Father, that, that nothing would hinder us, that just our relationship with you would be awesome, would be new, would be fresh each and every day. God, that you would just reveal yourself to us, that you would speak to us, that this would just be the primary and most amazing thing in our life, and we'd be excited each and every day to be able to know you and walk in you. God, that you would just come in and change our hearts and reveal, reveal things to us in our lives that need to go away. That, need, that are destructive, that aren't good. God, help us to walk well. Help us to just um, be worthy of the calling you've called us to. 
in Jesus' name. So in verse 21, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens opened. Now, my first thing kind of stood out is like, why does Jesus need to be baptized? We talked about repentance. And here you have Jesus being baptized in what? Repentance? It's kind of confusing, right? There's, there's no reason for him to repent. He's sinless. There isn't a baptism of repentance. And it's kind of interesting. John in Matthew, actually, Matthew 3.13 Jesus, Jesus kind of leaves him with a simple answer because John kind of had the same issue. It said in Matthew 13, 3, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me? I mean, I don't need, you don't need to be baptized. I should be baptized, but I can't even tie your sandals, is what he said. You know, and Jesus answered him and said, but he answers them, permit it to be so, for thus is it fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he allowed him. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness and I'm going to relate to man. It wasn't necessary for him to be baptized. But also we know in the scripture that it said he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. So Jesus went to the temple and sacrificed. I thought you did that if you were sinful. But no, he did all the traditions. He did everything that would be required of a man, even though he's fully God and fully, fully God, sinless. But yet he was fully man, and he did everything according to what we would be required to go through. He went through every step. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, it says we have a high priest that knows, that relates. We don't have the high priest that's sitting up on a cloud somewhere has no clue what you're going through. And we're really going to see that as Luke brings that out, as we go through Christ the man, even though he's divine, he, he, he still comes to it with all the tools given to us. Even though he was divine, he, he deals with these issues. He, he shows us how to be equipped as Christians and, and men and women of the Lord without the power of the divinity in the sense of who he was, but in the same power that's available to us. And so Jesus was baptized. He fulfilled all the law. And, and here in Luke, we have a little snippet that we don't have anywhere else that said what Jesus prayed, why he was praying. So Jesus is praying and he's talking with God. And so, you know, I, at this point, I don't know the conversation Jesus was praying. And there's all types of prayer. Whatever conversation. He was praying. He's being baptized. This is going on. He's being submitted. Maybe just talking to, the, to his dad, you know, father. And he's praying. And that's important to see. And we see this repeatedly in Scripture that Jesus is praying. Jesus is taking the time to pray, which is really communication with God. You know, and, and if you think about it, there's, there's different types of prayer. There's praying for other people. There's intercessory. There's praying for your needs. There's glorifying. But more importantly, it is communicating with God. Hey, this is what's going on, and I need help. And I've kind of had the attitude of, well, God already knows. I mean, he knows my mind. Why do I need to say anything? You know, he'll just, you know. I've had that attitude maybe in my marriage. I told her I loved her when we got married, and if something changed, I'd let her know. I mean, you kind of, <laughs> no, he wants that intimate relationship. He wants you to be speaking with him daily and communicating with him daily. And Jesus is here praying, and heaven is opened, and it continues, and read with me in verse, uh, chapter 22, or verse 22 here, it says, And the Lord 
and or excuse me, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven saying, "To you are my son, in whom I am well pleased." Well, I don't know about um, you guys, but when I was baptized, this didn't happen. I don't know about you guys, right? I was, you know, it, it's kind of like Jesus, God is giving um, approval here, right? It wasn't, oh, you know, yeah, he needed to be baptized because he was sinful, because you have this, this is my son who I'm well pleased. So you have this physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit, like a dove, it's not a dove, but like a dove, descending upon Jesus, coming upon Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, and, and, and heaven opening, and, and, and God saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. You mind you, he hasn't started in his ministry yet. There, there's no, we just have him at 30 years old. We have this account when he's 12. So when he was a kid, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm well pleased when you were a child and you were submissive to your parents. I'm well pleased when you worked as a carpenter out on that job. I'm well pleased. He's well pleased all the way up until here. It wasn't, oh, suddenly Jesus became the Christ at this point. Some doctrines say that, well, he was you know, just a regular person and at this point suddenly he was holy and pure. No, God was well pleased with him beforehand. And it, it's interesting when you look at this, I mean, do you guys see three distinct different people in the scripture in one verse? You know how many people try to trust that? You see the Holy Spirit, right? In bodily form, pretty clear. You see God the Father from heaven speaking. And you see Jesus. People go, oh, there's no Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. No, but that's how we explain this because we see it repeatedly, repeatedly. You know, there's some doctrines out there that go, well, God was in one form at a time. It was God the Father. Then he changed into the form of the Holy Spirit. Then he changed into the form of Jesus. And he wasn't all in three at the same time. Well, this, you know, so he's a ventriloquist. He's sitting there and going, I am, I mean my son. I mean, I'm going to take my voice from heaven as I'm sitting here and I'm going to descend on myself. It doesn't make sense. We see all three here. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different um, places where they go where, hey, well, you know, there's all three, but, you know, Jesus wasn't God. How many times in the Bible? And they can go through one verse by another verse, but my question always comes down, then why did the Jewish people, why did the Jewish leaders kill him? What point? Why were they mad? Why did they want to kill him repeatedly, wanted to stone him? Because, well, you know, they say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. No, they wanted to kill him for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. You can twist whatever scripture you want, but the Jewish leaders went in and had a problem with him. That was their biggest problem with him, is he declared to be God. He declared to be eagle of God. Oh, we can't, we can't have this. It's blasphemy. That, that's the whole reason they put him on the cross. So you can mess with one scripture or another, but you see here God saying, hey, I am God, I'm equal to God. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me, but yet then we see them all separate. So we do see the Trinity in Scripture, maybe not the Word. And it's interesting, we see the ministry as, as Jesus starts to go out. The first things we see as Jesus the man, we see him praying. And we see the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Right? And, and Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive, speaking to us, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That same power, that same upon experience is available to us. That, that, this isn't unique because, oh, it's Jesus and he's getting something different than what's offered to us. 
Isn't that awesome? That power, the power Jesus needed for ministry, the power Jesus needed before he began his ministry, and all those things is available and for us. For what? So we can be witnesses. And so the power to act. So you have communication, and now we have the power to actually have actions in our life, to be able to live and walk this Christian life. And it's interesting, when, when we continue, we're going we're gonna to see the, in, in um, the rest of this here, the genealogy. Luke pulls out the genealogy of Christ here, but he pulls it out different than Matthew. Um, Matthew's the genealogy through Joseph. It's, again, Matthew's really the Christ, his kingship, the royal priesthood, the, the right for him to be the king and the rightful king of Israel. And we have, through Luke, Jesus the man. So we have, if you would, the DNA, right, of, of Jesus through the line of David still. And um, I'm not going to read this whole genealogy to you because um, it would be, number one, embarrassing for me to mispronounce all these names horribly. But you guys probably wouldn't know which ones I was mispronouncing anyways. We could get a theological debate on each of them probably. But we're going to look at it because there, there are some, some important ones in here. And, and in verse 23 it says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age. So it kind of was interesting. I mean, why 30 years of age? All this time passes. Why, why did God hold off until 30 years of age? And it, it, it's kind of the, the simple answer. The only answer I was able to come across is the Jewish people didn't feel you were mature enough to serve in the temple, be about spiritual things until you were 30 years of age as a male. Not to say you weren't an adult, not to say you couldn't have been married, but to be spiritually leading, they recognized, hey, you need to at least be 30 years old. That was common. And, and generally... At the age of 30, if you're a priest or a child of a priest, you begin there. Now, there's exceptions. There's all kinds of exceptions where God had used younger men in the, in the temple and, and stuff like that. But that was the common kind of thing. And that's the only thing I can see that we know for sure scripturally. There's all kinds of, well, maybe Joseph passed away, so now he was the kind of head and he was done honoring his father. There's all, we don't know. But we do know, okay, God had, had waited until this time. And now he's 30 years old, and it begins, the genealogy begins with being, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph. And then it goes down, and if you, you notice with me, um, there's a couple names that stick out at different times when you come through the genealogy. Um, you, you get down to, let's see, the last part of 31, and you have the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of uh, Oban, the son of Boaz for the women who are going through the women's Bible study. Boaz is Ruth's husband, right? And there, the son of Solomon. And so, it goes down, you have the you know, son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And, and this is where it differs from Matthew. Matthew stops there at Abraham. Matthew's genealogy stops at Abraham, but Luke continues all the way back, and if you look at the last verse there, it says, the son of Seth, the son of Abraham or Adam and the son of God. Jesus goes all the way back to the first man, the first son of God, right? And he goes all the way back because he's looking at, again, Jesus the man. And it's kind of interesting because Mary's line and bloodline is of David. They both 
intercede there. But Jesus kind of had a problem because in Jeremiah, as the kings went, there was this guy, Jeconiah, Jekyllah, yeah, King Jeconiah, yeah, still ain't pronouncing it right. But anyways, this guy, Jeremiah prophesies that none of your kids are going to sit on the throne. Wait a minute, you have this king line coming down, all these promises to David, to Abraham, hey, your king, you're going to reign forever, you're going to reign forever. And then we get to one king and you say, no, it ends here. Wait a minute, this is like, that's kind of a problem. How does that work? How do you now have a bloodline that goes? Well, Joseph, or Joseph's son, Jesus, in a sense, had all the legal right because he was his adopted son. He had all the legal right to the throne, but not the DNA. And he has the DNA through Mary. So yes, he's the son of David, but it's through Mary. He has the legal right through Joseph. And it's interesting because when you look at Matthew, it's this person begot this person, begot this person, begot this person, and here we have the son of. And if you've, you've ever ran into somebody who's adopted, you'll realize, no, that's dad, and it doesn't matter what the DNA says. And many times, and so we have the son of. You can be the son of somebody like we are now the same thing. We are called the sons and daughters of God. Why? Through Christ. We are adopted into that family. And so, it's kind of interesting, when you, when you look at that term, when, when Jesus is baptized and, he's, and God says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Oh, I'd love to hear that from God, wouldn't you? Well, guess what? In Christ, God looks at us and says, because of what he's done, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We, we through Christ, now have that adoption into his family. What an awesome thing. And so Luke goes all the way back to Adam, and, and so we see Jesus the man. Jesus the man. And it's interesting, as we start to go through chapter 4 here, um, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And he's driven out there by the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to point out here, we wouldn't know this, only unless Jesus told somebody. I don't know if he was sitting around his disciples and saying, hey, this happened. This is a time when it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the devil. There's nobody else there to record this. So you've got, you got to wonder, how do we have a record? Did he sit down? Well, the, I know why we have the record. The why we have the record is because it must be important. And not in just important to something that Jesus needed to go through, but in something very important for us to see, for us to know. And, and it really comes down to how... Do we deal with temptation? How do we deal with the attacks of Satan as a believer? Okay, so you're, you're, you're committed to him. You, you've, you're repentant, right? And, and you're praying, and you're in communication with God, and you're full of the Holy Spirit. And then, what happens when the attacks come? How do we respond? How are we going to withstand these things? And in verse chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led into the wilderness. I kind of think that's funny because can you imagine a book these days? You, you, you get these books, right? The Spirit-Filled Life. Right? The Spirit-Filled Life. Let me give you an example of Spirit-Filled Life. Jesus is going to fill you. You're going to go out to the wilderness and be attacked by Satan. It's not the Spirit-Filled Lives I've read about, right? <laughs> these books. Oh, what happens when you're Spirit-Filled and... All these great things. You don't, you don't see quite that tile, right? But here, Jesus 
is filled by the Spirit, and he's led out into the wilderness. And Jesus, again, is showing us, I mean, it's like none of this account had to happen, or, or we would have known of, only unless he was sharing this. Um, look with me at verse 2 here. It goes, being tempted for 40 days, the devil, in those days, he ate nothing, and after, when they had ended, he was hungry. So Jesus is out there, he's fasting, he's been let out there, fasting, laying aside things, praying, without a doubt, and, and temptations are coming as he's out there, but at the end, when it's at the greatest, Satan's coming with all he's got. And, and it's interesting, I mean, you get a red-letter Bible, right, and, and you have the letters of Jesus in red in your Bible, you know? I think too many people, number one, put too much on Satan, give, give him way too much credit. I mean, there's probably more written about Satan outside the Bible than ever, ever was written in. I mean, if, if you were to put the words of Satan in, I don't know, something um, disgusting, pea green, okay, in your Bible, he, he would, this would be the third time he, he ever says anything. Okay, the first time you have him in the Garden of Eden. Tempting, same thing, right? The, we're going to see the same type of temptations. The, the second time we see him accusing the saints, coming after Job, right? And this is the third time. He's coming in and, and tempting the Son of God, or if you would say the second Adam, as he, Jesus is also referred to. The first Adam came in, he temp him, tempted Adam and took him out. And now you have the one who's going to straighten the record, who's going to even the score. We have Jesus, the Savior there, and Satan comes after him, and he waits until he's worse. And it says he didn't eat, but what is told to us medically is if you fast for 40 days, there's a point where your body is no longer hungry. It, it stops feeling hungry, the hunger pains go away, but around 40 days, your body starts to get hungry again. You start to have hunger pains again, because it's your body saying, I am now eating your organs to survive. Things are going to shut down. It's no longer you know, your fat cells or something else. And, I, I mean, I probably could fast 40 days without a problem. But, you know, you get to a point where you just run out. You're, you know, your body's breaking down and failing, and that's when Satan comes after us. You notice that? Oh, yeah. How many of you guys have been, like, severely attacked by, by temptation and things at a men's retreat? Not often. It's usually after it gets worse. You might have some things, but it's like, yeah, I'm going to leave you alone until the week after you get home. You know? My wife always comes home, and she goes, yeah, you know, everything's good, and I get home, the house is a mess. And it clean up, and it's thrashed, you know, and then it's the trials. But most of the time, it's hard, because I, I even hear things, and I, I hear, wow, you know, such and such had a really good time at youth camp, and I'm like, I need to follow up with them in a week. They're going to get attacked. Um, even, even within this fellowship, it seems like, man, everybody we've, we've been involved with that gets baptized gets attacked so hard. It's like that's when the struggle begins. They're doing okay and everything else. They get baptized, and right after they get baptized, bam, it's like, well, where did they go? What happened? Well, they're struggling. This is going on. It, it, it's just amazing to see. Satan knows. Satan goes, okay, we'll let you do that. But now, now you've made that commitment. Now you're, okay, you're the son of God. Let's, let's, let's play with this. Let's see. Let's see how well you are. Well, you're the son of God, okay. And so he comes after him. And so Jesus shows us, though, he, he's tempted, you know. And it's interesting. He's sitting there, he's tempted. 
And he, he has the power, right? Satan's a finite being. Satan is an omnipresent. You know, we, we go, oh, Satan's tempting me. Um, I don't know if I've ever ran into him. I don't think he cares too much about me. I think he's got bigger, bigger people he's after than me. He he's, can't be everywhere at once. Not to say there isn't demons and principalities and things, but Satan, he's, he's finite. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. And so I put, I, my better bet is I probably never ran into him. You know, there's demons and things like that. But here, God's dealing with Satan, right? And does he deal with him in his divine? The truth is, right, God could have sat there and said, okay, Satan, phew, smoke, you're gone. Okay, that's done with. And we would have went, oh, yay. But in our lives, we don't have that divine power. God, God deals with this in his human, his fully man nature in that sense. And he deals with it. And, and his response, look with me in verse 3 here. Jesus responds and says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus comes back with a lightning bolt, chains him up. No. He comes back with, It is written. It is written with, the Word of God. The Word of God says this. And, and it's interesting because I've ran into situations and, and I've been blessed um, in many ways being raised in uh, churches with sound doctrine. But you, you run into it where, oh no, Jesus, you know, Satan's here and we got to pray in tongues. Blah, 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 get him out of here because Jesus, you know, Satan doesn't like tongues or, you know, we got to really, you know, let the Holy Spirit light shine so he flees away and all this stuff, and you don't see Jesus doing all this stuff. Do you see Jesus praying in tongues or casting them out? Or No, he just responds, it's written. It's in your word. He pulls out that sword. Pulls out his big old sword, the word of God. Right? And, and Satan's going after him. He's going after, hey, the lust of the flesh, a basic need. Here, here you are, you're starving. Hey, you're, you know, aren't you the son of God? Why don't you just, you know, make these rocks into bread? It's a legitimate need. And it really seems kind of, okay, that's, yeah, that's basic. That's, you know, understandable. I mean, he could have done it or not done it. What's amazing with this is how many people today say, oh, well, God made me this way. Right? God made me to be hungry, and, I, and I've pushed that to a limit. Wouldn't God want me just to, you know, God doesn't want me to die. Right? I was made this way, you know? The lust of the flesh, really, we can take, and, and the world says, how dare you tell me that wrong? That's, that's my flesh, that's how I was made, that's how I was designed. And that is such a lie. That's not how we were made. That's what happened after we sinned in the garden. We were not made that way. Now, you know, as I was sitting here studying that, you know, I understand, oh yeah, you can't fulfill the lust of the flesh and these things. But that's a lie. We were not made that way. Oh, well, you don't understand, you know, you, you know, these days, you know, sex before marriage, it's not how we're designed, it's not how a guy works, it's not how this works, you got to know. No, it's not how we were made. It's a lie, we're fallen. We sinned. We're in a fallen nature. It's not right. Well, you know, God made the plant, we should smoke it. No, it's a fallen plant. The whole world's fallen. You know what I mean? You can't fulfill the lust of your flesh. And even if it's a legitimate need, there's nothing wrong with eating bread, but there is a way of getting something or fulfilling a, 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 a desire of your flesh wrong. You know, and, and you look at 
the destruction of things. Um, you know, with my great experience of being a senior pastor, which isn't that great, I've seen the destruction of sin in lives already, talking with people, seeing how destructive things that you would think, hey, I'm alone, nobody sees me, it doesn't hurt nobody, I'm good. Pornography. Man, this week, it's hard to see the destruction those things cause in a life. It's hard and and fulfilling it and and the damage caused by it. And one would go, you know, well, it's a natural thing they desire. No, it isn't. It's not biblical. It doesn't belong in your life. It doesn't belong in your marriage. There's a proper way and a proper way to have that relationship in a marriage. And it's in Scripture very clearly. But that's not it. Pornography and those things and involving other people, it's going to cause destruction. In your life, it's going to cause destruction in your marriage. And even if you think you're out in the wilderness and nobody sees and nothing's going to happen, those things destroy you. What, regardless of what sin it is, fulfilling the lust of your flesh where it's out of the proper way of God's word is wrong. And it's amazing here, when we look at God, Jesus responding, he says it's written, he's going back to Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, right? Oh, you just need to preach the New Testament. Guess, Jesus liked the Old Testament. Of course, he made up all the New Testament, but, you know, it wasn't quite around until uh, he lived it in many aspects and we learned. But he's quoting Deuteronomy. And here's Deuteronomy, this whole book about obedience. You have the children of Israel. They're out in the wilderness, and it's obey. And, and here Satan comes and goes, hey, just, just, you know, you don't have to do it God's way. You can fulfill those lusts of my way. You know, let's just do it this other way. It's one of those things where we sit down and we look at this and and we go, it's it's essential to have God's word. Those temptations are going to happen. If you have a problem with your flesh, you need to put it in check. And the way you put it in check is, as, as I was looking at this and going, what is the simple way to do this? How do you do these things? How do you apply this. If somebody said, here's the guidebook to surviving the wilderness, or, you know, the five steps to this. Okay, here's these main three things we see that Jesus needed to survive as a Christian. The Christian basics for survival. You don't need to go to a huge boot camp. You don't need to go through tons and tons of training. I gotta go through seminary. I gotta go through these things. No. What you need to do is get in the Word of God every day. You need to open up your Bible and pray. God, God, guide me. Help me. This is going on. That's going on. Open your heart up and, and read his word. Get to know him. Pull that sword out and first use it on yourself and go, hey, what do I got to trim off here? God, work, do surgery on me. That, that's the, the practical application of all this. Isn't, oh, we gotta, it's going to take months for me to get here. It's your daily devotions. And I don't care if, when it is. We need to, we're designed to be in daily communication with God and him changing our lives. And uh, sharing yesterday, um, just with those who are here and, and leadership, all the way through the school ministry, we're told that repeatedly. You need to be in devotions. It doesn't matter if you're studying, studying for the whole church, helping people out, counseling. If you're not current with God, you're done. It's going to take you out. You will be gone. You're going to fall. You're going to fall into lust. You're going to fall into sin. And Because I can study and look at it, but if my heart isn't open, 
If I'm not reading God's Word and not just doing it for a head exercise or to learn something or <laughs> to learn something to tell everybody else what they should do, I mean, if I'm not saying, God, change me what's going on each and every day, I'm done. I'm done. And as we look at these other temptations, these, these other uh, attacks here, it says in verse 5, it says, And then the devil, taking upon him up to a high mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you. And their glory is, or their glory for this has been delivered to me that I give to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me and or worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You know, he shows them in a moment of time all the kingdoms of the world. And, and this word even means not just the kingdoms at that time. All the kingdoms, all the glory, all the cities. All of what he actually has right to. He has authority over these things right now. Right? Here, you, you, you've come to redeem the world. I'll give it to you. You just got to worship me. You know, oh yeah, you know, that, that, that's what you want to do? You're the son of God, you've come for these? I'll, I'll give it to you, I'll make it easy. The cross, you don't have to bear that. The, the way God wants you to do it, I'll make it easy. You know, sometimes you, you, you hear things like that, and um, you need to read the fine print. I always chuckle at, um, I don't know why they try to sell medication for something on TV. With the fine print they have to read out, half the commercial is somebody speaking very fast, you know, so don't speak slow. And they're reading off all these things. Here's this weight loss pill, you know, and you can lose 50 pounds and be healthy. And then the side effects are death. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute. And you could be overweight from this pill. And I mean, it's just, it's like, you've just convinced me I never want to take that. I mean, the side effects are scary as heck. I mean, you know. And here... Satan's going, hey, just, just do it my way. It'll be easier. And it never is. It might seem easier on the face. Well, you know, I, you know, it, there's so many aspects of our lives we look like. Career. Well, you know, in the reality of the job and this and that, you're going to have to do these, you know, little things maybe that aren't totally honorable to move up in position. You know, well, you're going to need to do this a little. You know, if you really want to, you know, progress, you know, if you want the church to go, you need to, I mean, fill in that blank these days. It's scary. You know, as one of our kids, um, they belong to a youth group, and this youth group's praising kids for coming out of the closet. You're just like, what? How heartbreaking. The destruction that's going to be caused there. It, it, it's just sad. It's sad, and that's where, where it's at. And, and Well, you know, you want the church to grow. You want to be accepting and loving, and they start to believe a lie because... They don't know God. They don't know his word. Because it's clear. It's not a debate. You know what I mean? I, you, it, it's interesting. And even Satan here, I mean, who's he dealing with? The word became flesh. Right? The word became flesh. Um, read with me. Let's look, look at verse 9 here. It says, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So he sat him on the highest corner of the temple, overlooking the valley. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you. Now, and then he gives another verse and he says, and 
in their hands there shall bear, should bear you up, lest your foot, your foot against, or lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him and said, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, it's interesting. Here you got the word of God, and Satan's gonna debate him by twisting the word of God. I don't think that's wise. But I think people do it, right? Do you, have you ever done that? You're thinking, there's no. I can't think of why I would ever have pulled out the word of God. I don't know. I have done that. Right? You're wanting something. It's like, but God, I did this, and I did that, and I prayed, and I fasted, so you have to say yes. You have to be a genie in the bottle and do what I want. No. He doesn't, and he's not. You know, and, and sadly, that happens in many aspects of life. You know? Satan's telling them, hey, you came, you came humbly and all this stuff. Man, if you throw yourself off this thing and angels rescue you, do you think anybody in Jerusalem is going to doubt who you are? You're the son of God. You can reveal yourself. Man, aren't, aren't you special to God? Why don't you just let everybody know? Right? You, you, come on, you know? What was the problem in the garden? They lusted after the fruit. It looked good. Right? Wow. You know, I could be like, I could be like God. I could have authority. I can be, wow, if, if you eat this, you're going to have the knowledge of God. Man, and God's going to recognize me. Now I'm going to be on the same playing field as God if I eat this fruit. I'll be like him. Same three things. Satan doesn't seem to have that big of a toolbox, does he? Came after the first Adam, came after the second Adam, and, and most, all temptation falls into these things. And, um, It's just, it's amazing. Let's look at uh, Psalms 91 real quick, where, where he twists this, if, if you guys want to hold a, a finger in both spots. Psalms 91, verse 11, right? Let's, let's just see how Satan twists these two verses a little, this section. And what he avoids, it's kind of actually funny. I mean, it's, 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 it is funny when you realize you're talking to the Word of God, right? That's like, a, a, that's like disputing with, I don't know. It's like disputing with um, Trump over what he, he thinks. And he hasn't said it yet. Well, I think you're thinking this. Well, no, I'm not. How do you, how do you prove? I mean, he is the word, even more than that. It's just like, how, how could you? It's just kind of hilarious. So in Psalms 91, verse 11, it says, For she, he shall give charge over the, or he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Oops, we're going to leave that piece out. To keep you in all your ways. What does that mean? Well, the ways God's directed me. Not in my own ways. Not in my own devices. You know, to keep you in all your ways. And, and then, it continues on, in verse 12 it says, In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Okay. Well, let's, let's put that in context, right? Context is good. And then verse 13 says, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Does that sound familiar? Something in Genesis about, right, the Savior smashing the head of the serpent. Oh, I wonder why he left verse 13 out. Oh, yeah, you're the guy that's going to trample my head. Let's, let's, let's just not go there, Right? And that's the way Satan does it. But many times, if you don't know the word of God, how do you know the truth? It's really scary. How many 
things come into the truth and take people out this way by not knowing God, not knowing his heart. There are times you have somebody come up and ask you a question, you're like, I've never considered how that, I've never had that question. I don't know how you got to that conclusion about the scripture. And, and, and you're racking your mind going, I know that's not right, and I can't even point to a specific verse, but it's just not right. And Because and I, I would have, never, number one, never came to that unless you told me. I would have never seen it reading God's word. But, but then, and you see these things, when people take scripture and they pull them out of context, health and wealth doctrine. Does that sound like doing God's, this, that's what that is, right? Jump off, God's going to save you, you'll be healthy, you'll be fine, it'll be great. No, that's not the way things work. God has a plan, God has a direction. You know, and many times those doctrines, when they fail people, leave them in shambles. If you're not solid in the Word of God and you're believing something that's not real, it's horrible. And what's really sad is when you have men teaching, twisting the Word of God, and and it's a lie. Because guess what? The person sitting there thinks, well, no, this is what God said. And I know God. And what they don't know is they don't know God. And so when it doesn't work, when it falls apart, and when it crashes in their life, and there's this pain, this hurt, no, it's okay, you know, you know, sin isn't, that's not really sin, you know, it's okay, you know, sex before marriage is kind of more of a culture thing, it was a suggestion, and then things fall apart. Or, hey, you know, it's okay, God, God really wants you to be, you know, his big concern for you is that you're rich and well off. I don't see that in scripture. Uh, there's nowhere I would have come to that conclusion. They're doing well off of twisting it, but it leaves people, well, well man, I must, I must, I must not be faithful. I must have sin in my life. Why? Well, I have this health issue and I'm financially not doing wrong and so God must not love me. I must, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. I have too much sin. You know, these things are very, very, very destructive and that's where it's very important that you know the Word of God, that nobody in a pulpit would change what God's showing you and speaking to you. That's where you guys say, man, if I ever teach something that's off, hit me. You know, my mom jokes, um, I haven't had to send you an email yet. But she still says yet. She goes, I better never have to send you an email, but she will. You know? And it's one of those things when you sit down and look at it. As a Christian, as a believer, we need to be in prayer. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. God wasn't just out there in the wilderness just with the Word of God alone going, I'm going to take him out. No, he was also full of the Holy Spirit. It was required. It's a requirement. You know, and, and we have these upon experiences when you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, but we also see other times in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is poured out at a separate time. They waited for the day of Pentecost. They waited for these things. And, you know, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit where you're, you know, it seems like this dunamis, this, this separate, not separate, or sometimes separate experience comes upon you. Some people get saved, it seems like they're full of the Holy Spirit from day one, and they're just charging. Other people get saved, it seems like they're struggling along, and I don't know if it's just God responding to their heart, going, hey, I want to serve you all the way, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and God answers it. I see both of them happening, and what's amazing is, it doesn't matter what time that is in your life because there's been times where I felt God's baptized me, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, but then there's other times where I go, man, I know I'm dry, I need it again. I need power to do what he's calling me to do. 
because it seems impossible, because my heart's not there. God, I, I need your power to be able to obey this. My, my flesh is strong and my spirit is weak. You know, and he's faithful to do that. And we need to be asking, God, fill me afresh. One of the biggest concerns I have within a, a, a fellowship in a church is we get, we get numb. We go, this is the way it is. This is the way we've done ministry. This is the way it is. You know, the steps, you know, this is what society expects. Okay, biblically, what's the order of service? How do we do worship by the Bible? Do you do teaching before or after? You know, the example we actually have of teaching that was traditional back then is I sit down, you guys all stand up. It's not in there. Why do we do it the way we do it? Well, because there needs to be order, there needs to be structure. Yes, there are some things that are, are, are kind of um, make people feel comfortable at home, willing to share. But ultimately, none of that matters over what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us to do. And, and I want to stay open to that, not to say, oh, we're going to go, don't be freaking out, we're going to have to get rid of the chairs next week or something. But I want to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit's doing. And, and I see it many times where, especially now, God seems to be shaking things up, not just in this fellowship, in this city, but many cities, many churches I've been talking to, God seems to be shaking things up and changing things. The last time there was a man that just wanted to be, that I know of, not the last time, but a man I know of, that just wanted to be on board with what the Holy Spirit was doing. I just want to be on board. That was the thing is, I'm not into leading anything, anything else. I just want to be where God's doing and where the Spirit's moving. And it shook things up. It was called a Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And they had barefooted hippies in their church with long beards. So disrespectful. I can't believe they did that. I mean, they need to tell those people repent and shave or shave and repent, one of the two. I, you know, that was the attitude. It wasn't acceptable. It wasn't there. But what was acceptable is, hey, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and, and I, I've heard again and again, well, you got new wineskin and old wineskin. That's Old Testament, New Testament. We're still in the same thing. This is the, here, here's the first scene. We're seeing Christ the man. And, and what is he sharing? He's sharing something that he had to have shared to make sure it was in his scripture and he's sharing, hey, these are the things you've got to have. I mean, Luke's pointing out, you've got to be praying. You've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. All the things he could have done or been, why this? The Holy Spirit came upon him first. Why? I don't think he was lacking. I think it's a sign, hey, we have to be full of the Holy Spirit and obedient. Second, you're going to be tempted. God, God might drive you into the wilderness before ministry. You might be tempted by things. You know what I mean? How many of you guys go, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to do this, honey? We're going to turn off the TV early and we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to do devotions. Cool, awesome. Oh, by the way, the NFL start next week. Well, after the NFL's over, we'll, I mean, we, we come up, right? Suddenly that temptation comes, but wait, this new show, we've been waiting for season six and they decided to reproduce. I mean, whatever. Sadly, it's that light of things. I don't know about you. Any, anybody in here go like, okay, dear Lord, I want to serve you. And somebody comes and goes, okay, I want to make you a CEO and give you $10 million. Hasn't happened to me. I'm too easy, I guess. I don't know. You know what I mean? But it's the truth. We get so easily distracted. And, and then we can be drawn in by our flesh and the, and the lust of our flesh and, the, and those things 
We, we can have the pride of life. I mean, you can come into ministry and go, you know, everybody needs to see how God's using me. You know, I, 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 I you know, I'm not, I, I got to be seen and, and I want to I wanna be serving in this area and people need to see, see who I am. No. Those, those things can sneak in and destroy us and, and God's clearly showing us, hey, this is how you overcome it, by knowing the Word of God. And, and, and knowing the Word of God daily. Having, like I said, the, the, this isn't some huge boot camp. You've got to go through some great theological study. What I love about the Word of God is you can just open it and God's going to be faithful to speak to you. He gave you ears. He gave you eyes. He wants to speak to you. you know, and, and it's a huge comfort to me. Because you can come and counsel and I can say, you know what, the first thing you need to do is How's your devotional life? Are you in the Word? Are you praying and asking God to see your life in this? And then I hear back of where God put him, and I go, man, I would have never thought of telling them to read there. But it's just what they needed to hear. Like God just right between his eyes, you know, just cutting, and you're just going, man, God is so faithful. I mean, I, I, you know, I sit there and go, man, I'm, I'm so young and ignorant. How am I going to disciple in this situation or that disciple? And it's like, okay, so I'm just trying to get him, get him seeking the great, the great, disciple or the great counselor and, and see what he does and he's faithful every time. It's so amazing. And so this morning here's the basic things for the Christian life. To be praying, to be full of the Holy Spirit. To know his words so you can stand within those attacks when the lies are coming. And they are, they are, they are coming like crazy, especially this younger generation. There are so many things coming at them that are just straight out totally destructive and scary. But at the same time, these kids are hungry for fruit. The two 17-year-olds I was talking to in the park are desperately desiring truth. And they've seen everything around them a lie. You know, you talk to them and it's like, hey, if, what would you say your life is on a scale of 1 to 10? You know, like, we're a 4. It's like, how, how are you a 4 in high school? What, what's a horrible life experience you've gone through it, uh, you know, going into your junior year in high school. Well, we just, we just don't know. We just don't know what's going to happen after. We're scared. We don't know what's coming. I can't, I can't believe my teachers. They're, they're full of lies. They've told me this. They've told me that. The things I've tried that people told me were okay and, you know, hey, you were made this way and, and first you got to, whatever, love yourself and, you know, if it feels good, do it. It didn't felt good and I did it now I feel horrible now, now I'm reaping these consequences for years already and I'm 17 I've seen what my parents have gone there I, there ain't any truth out here this is hopeless Yo, wait a minute no there is truth yeah you're right it is a lie I, amazing thing is I don't have to tell them hey you know you realize you guys are sinners even young no I don't even have to tell them do you realize the world's lying to you and these things no they know that's what was interesting about this. They know that everybody's lying. There, there isn't a debate. Well, I believe I came from a monkey. My teacher, no. I know they're lying. I know they're full of it. I know they have an agenda. It's kind of shocking. It's like, wait a minute. My generation was like, oh, well, let's bring out the facts because we've been trained. No. They already know. These, this generation, every time I go out and talk to them, it's encouraging because they want the truth and they're desperate for it. You know, you look at it and you go, there's no way. I'm sure there's, how many people looked at the, Love and peace generation, those guys are gone. There's no way. No. At least God stirred them. They wanted truth. And this generation definitely wants the truth of God's word. And the question becomes, 
if you go on and you try to live this Christian life without praying and without being committed, without even interacting in a relationship, and you said, well, I'm repenting and I'm changing, but there's no change. You know, oh yeah, I got married. Yeah, you got married, so why are you still over here doing speed dating? Yeah, I'm bored. No, there's going to be an action. There's going to be a change. Hey, I entered into a relationship with God. I'm repenting. There's going to be a change. There's going to be communication. You're going to spend time with that person. And then you're going to need the power. I don't care if it's God or your wife. In both cases, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit for your actions to change to be loving. Because we're really good at being natural and sinners and horrible and selfish and all these other things. First thing you find out when you get married is you're selfish. Find that out real quick. And you need the power to do it well. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you not be selfish, to serve, for your actions to change, to be able to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your relationship and with those around you. And you need to know, not just know of, know about, heard about, you need to know God personally. And you need to open his word and let him change you. That you can withstand. When the attack comes, you go, no, you're fraudulent. I, I, I know who God is and I, I see what you're trying to tempt me with. It doesn't compare. I, and, and I see how many times it's felt in your life. I've seen your lies. I've, I know the small, I've seen this fine print. And then the amazing thing is if, if you don't do those things, I mean, running around, the last thing you want to do is run around prideful, sharing something that's not real, scripture, twisting it to your own advantage, right? How, how, going to church every day, but yet fully lustful in your own life, following sin, that's just a painful place to be. To walk into church and just sit down and know, man, oh man, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. This relationship isn't good. You know, if, <laughs> if you're in a relationship and you're cheating on somebody, that's got to be miserable. You know, you, you look at these, these you know, people that have committed murder and then suddenly just come out of the closet and confess and nobody's even chasing them. Why? The guilt, right? And Satan takes that guilt. And what does Satan do with that guilt? If you've struggled in these areas, which I, I guarantee we all have, you struggle in these areas, you're struggling in those areas now, right? Satan says, <laughs> he comes in and he's the accuser, he says, look at you guys, you blew it. You called yourself the child of the Son of God, yeah? Well, I see what you are and I know what you are. And he condemns you. That's what Satan does. You know what the Holy Spirit does? That conviction says, yeah, you're a sinner, come to me. That's where you pull out the Word of God again, right? Okay, I'm a sinner, I've blown it. What's the Word of God say? I've forgiven you. I loved you. He's already covered it. You're not working for a victory. We're working from a victory. The victory's already done. Right? God loves you. And the whole reason you're here today, and I'm sharing this message, and, and God's put this scripture, and we happen to be right here. You know, you think of all the factors of when you could be born and everything else. is isn't because God's saying, hey, you're, you, you're horrible and I don't love you. He goes, no, I want you to live. I want you to live well. Don't make that mistake again and we can be re repent and be done with it. And if there's something that's dominating your life, let's be done with it. Um, Tony was sharing about when he was going through John, Jesus came in and started tossing the tables in the temple. You know, and sometimes we need him to come into our lives and toss the tables. We, hey, we got a form of religion, we got a form of a relationship, but there's areas where he's just got to come in and be done with it and destroy it in our lives. And again, the best way to start afresh is not a boot camp, isn't some great commitment, 
just be committed to getting in the Word and opening it, praying and asking Him to change you each day. That's simple. It really is that simple. And guess what? That seems to be the hardest thing to do. It's a, Satan goes, well, the last thing I want you to do is pray and ask God to change you. This, I don't want you to get to know Him. I don't want you to be full of the Holy Spirit. Those people are scary. I mean, they take me out. They come in. Lives get changed around them. So let's pray, and then we're going to take communion. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, gosh, just for who you are, that you are willing to lay aside heaven, come down here, and live as a man, that we may know how to walk, that we may know uh, your power, that we be your adopted children, God. We're so thankful that we just have all the access, Father, even though we're foolish and weak, just to follow you and, and to be worthy of the calling you've called us. And that when, when we're done, we can expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because of how faithful you're in our lives and how just amazing you are and how, how faithful you are in changing us, God. And we just thank you for who you are and your faithfulness and just to get to see Jesus and, and how, how much you used him and how much you just desired him to speak to us and into our lives. In Jesus' name.